The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. We're returning tonight to a great Bible character. On the count of three, shout out his name. Let's see if you've been listening. One, two, three. You have been listening. That's good. Open your Bible with me to the book of Acts, would you please? You laugh. I'm serious. Find Acts chapter number 7, one verse, and then we'll return. I promise we'll return to the book of Genesis. How many of you remember the old radio commentator Paul Harvey? Anybody remember Paul Harvey? Wave at me just a second. Now, if you just raised your hand, you're old, all right? So uh, all the young people say, who on earth is he talking about? Paul Harvey was an amazing radio commentator. He could tell a story like nobody could. I mean, just held people spellbound. And he always built to a dramatic pause, and he would say, and now for the rest of the story. Well, I want you to know in Scripture, God gives us not the whole story because some things we won't know till we get to the other side, but in a case like Joseph's, he does give us the rest of the story. It doesn't end in the pit, and it doesn't end in the prison, and it doesn't even just end in the palace. No, no. In fact, the work of God in and through Joseph's life is continuing to this present hour. Think about this just a second. Thousands of years removed from Joseph and a half a world away removed from this location, his influence is still being felt. We've been studying him all week long and gleaning from his life. Think what could God could do with your life if it was entirely yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason I bring you to Acts chapter 7, we're jumping right in the middle of one of the great New Testament sermons, is Acts 7 has the last reference to Joseph in Scripture. O.A.T. Pearson used to talk about the law of first mention, law of full mention, law of final mention. So the first time someone or something is mentioned in Scripture, it sets a precedent. It's a key that opens the door. And the last time something or someone is mentioned in Scripture, uh, this is like the Holy Spirit's final emphasis. The last reference is the lasting lesson. Look at Acts chapter 7, verse number 9. And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, Read the last verse with me, the last part of the verse. Ready? But God was with him. Say it again, would you please? But God was with him. Say it again, please. But God was with him. I want you to say it like you mean it. Ready? But God Get your preaching finger out, point at the center next to you and tell them. Ready? Here we go. But God was with him. One more time. Look back at me. What's the phrase? But God was with him. I'm brainwashing you. That's what I'm doing tonight. But it's a good brainwashing. It's the washing of water by the word. Everything and everybody seemed to be against Joseph, but God was with him. Joseph, weak, incapable of controlling his circumstances or changing the circumstance he was in, but God was with him. May I say to you that This truth from Joseph's life ought to be one of the most glorious thoughts that ever dawned on you, that if you have God with you, if you are 
in the presence of the Lord and you have God's promises, you have everything you need. I don't care what you have to do tomorrow. I don't care what's going to face you this year. I don't care what anybody else does or somebody else says. If you have the Lord, you can stand up and say with courage and conviction, with confidence, wait a minute, God is with me. We're not boasting in ourselves. We're leaning on the Lord. And I want you to know when this truth becomes a living reality in your life, it'll change your life forever. And so tonight we return to the book of Genesis, this book of beginnings, to the last chapter. Let's look at the last verse in Joseph's record in Genesis. It's found in Genesis chapter 50 and verse number 26. And when we first read it, you're going to think, well, man, this is morbid. This is a terrible way to end. First, I would remind you this is not the end. It's the end of another chapter, but it's not the end of the whole story because the Lord's still writing it. He's the divine author. But frankly, let's just get real for a minute. This is where all of us are going. Everybody in this room, if God tarries the coming of our Lord Jesus, at some point you're going to leave this world through the gate of death and you're going to meet the Lord face to face. Somebody said, if I I knew where I was going to die, I wouldn't go there. That's deep, isn't it? The reality is none of us know where we're going to die or when we're going to die. I'm not trying to get a busload up to go tonight. I want you to know that. But I know this. By the way you live, you're determining what it's going to be like when you do die. Both what you leave behind and what you have to meet on the other side. Spurgeon said this, the way to make the most of your life is to meditate on your death. So let's go all the way to the end, fast forward to the end of your life, and let's work back from there. When you're getting ready to leave this world and meet God, see the Lord Jesus face to face, kneel at the nail-pierced feet of the Son of God who died for you, what would you like to be true on that day when you meet God? What would you like to leave behind? Look, when your epitaph is written, that acts that we just read a moment ago, that's Joseph's epitaph. God was with him. The Lord was with him. What would you like somebody to put on your grave marker? William Borden died when he was 25. They said he died a fool. Gave away all of his millions to go to the mission field. 25 years of age, he died. If you go to his grave marker in Cairo, Egypt, it simply says this, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. To this present day, of all the biographies I've ever read, Borden's affected me as much as anyone. He only lived 25 years. Most all of us in this room will outlive the opportunity and the time period that Borden had, but the eternal epitaph God allowed him to have has made an everlasting difference, and that was the case in the life of Joseph. Look at Genesis chapter 50 and verse number 26. So Joseph died. Being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now, a little interesting side note before we walk through the passage. Joseph told them, you're not allowed to bury me. Keep the coffin above ground. Don't bury me, because when you leave, and you're going to leave, you're taking me with you. It's fascinating to me. So for, think about this. So for hundreds of years after this death and he's in a coffin, little boys and girls would walk past this and say to their mamas and daddies, what is this? Oh, that's Joseph's bones. 
Well, why is it still here? Because we're leaving here someday. How do you know we're leaving here someday? Because God promised it. And when we leave, Joseph said he doesn't want to be buried down here in Egypt. He wants to be buried back with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the promised land. Oh, I love this. May I say to you that to the very end, the story of Joseph's life is the story of faith in God. See, some people treat faith like, well, you know, that's how you get saved. The Bible doesn't say the just get saved by faith. It says the just shall live by his faith. The faith life is the Christian life. It's faith from start to finish. It's faith until faith becomes sight, until Joseph was 110 years old, all the way to the end. He was still trusting God for his future. I've talked to you about Seeing the Lord in your past. Oh, I hope you can start to see God in some of the unconscious preparation the Lord has put into you, in the good and the bad, how God has worked in your life. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them are the called according to his purpose. We must see the Lord in our past. I've talked to you about remembering the Lord in your temptations because the reality is they're going to come. You look, your, your weak flesh in a wicked world, temptations are going to come. The devil's not going to let up. So you're going to have to live in the presence of God so that in his holy presence you can be kept pure. I've talked to you about serving the Lord in your difficulty. Not after the difficulty, in the midst of it, God can and will use you right where you are if you will let him. But tonight... In our final time together in the life of Joseph, I want to talk to you about trusting the Lord for your future. You have a future. And if you're a child of God, the future is bright. My dad, who tonight is having his last service as the pastor of our home church, been in the ministry a long time, didn't start preaching until he was in his 30s. He was a businessman. In fact, one of the most impactful things in my young life was watching my dad surrender to the Lord's work. He served bivocationally in ministry for, I don't know, 10 years, maybe 15 years. And then finally, the church got to the place where he could go full time. And though he was very successful and making a lot of money, he walked away from that and became a full-time pastor. That really, that shaped me. I watched he and my mother. It was funny. They had, they had a lot less money and a whole lot more joy. Isn't that a funny thing? They were just in the will of God. And when my dad was in business, he was in the cemetery business. It's funny. Whatever your dad does for a living, that's what you notice when you're on vacation. We'd be driving down the road somewhere in the interstate. Somebody in our car would say, that's a nice cemetery. Sound like the Adams family on vacation, you know, but... And I got interested early on in epitaphs. How many of you know what an epitaph is? You know, the thing you put on a grave marker and they're never long. How do you summarize a whole life in just a few words? And I started collecting them. I got dozens and dozens of them. I mean, really serious ones, some sad ones, some, some hilarious ones. One of my favorite in Wetumpka, Alabama, a guy named Solomon Pease died. And then they put on his grave marker, beneath these clods and beneath these trees lies the body of Solomon Pease. This is not Pease. It is only his pod. Pease has shelled out and gone home to God. I like that one. And someday... Every one of us are going to shell out and go home to God. Look, I'm looking at your pod tonight. That's all I'm looking at. Turn and look at your neighbor just a second. Don't look at me. You're not allowed to look at me. Look at your neighbor. Stare into the lovely eyes. If you're sitting next to the wrong person, that's your fault, not mine. Look at them just a second. 
You're looking right now at a certified bowl of dirt. That's what you're looking at at this moment. Somebody said, preacher, that's not nice. I didn't say it. God made man of the dust of the ground. <sighs> Breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. Look, look, look. At the end, that body's going back to the dust of the ground, and the spirit is returning to God who gave it. Someday, every one of us are going to shell out and go home to God. Someday, every one of us are going to live. Genesis 50, verse 26. We're going to die. And they're going to take your body, and they're going to embalm it, and they're going to put it in a coffin or a casket somewhere. And somebody says, well, that's it. No, brother, that's not it. You step out of this world and into the world to come. You got more living on the other side than you got living on this side. But I want to tell you tonight on the authority of the Word of God that between this day and the day you see Jesus face to face, you're going to have to trust God for every step along the journey. There's going to be good days and bad days. There's going to be ups and downs and twists and turns. You cannot plan your own life. How many fellow planners are here tonight? Wave at me just a second. Don't we love to control things? We really do, don't we? And you know what God's going to let happen to you? He's going to let all your plans fall apart. And you know why? Because God's not looking for planners. He's looking for followers. And the Lord's not interested in you bringing your good ideas, your bright ideas to the Lord and saying, I think this would be a good thing to do with my life. He's interested in you coming to God like Joseph did and saying, Lord, I'm all yours because that's all I can do. So you do with me whatever you choose to do, and I believe your way will be best. We were talking about Jim Elliott earlier today. Jim Elliott said that God always gives his best to those who leave the choice with him. And I came to tell you tonight, you can trust God for your future. I can't tell you what your future is. Nobody can. And if anybody tells you they can tell you all about your future or they want to control all about your future, I'd get as far away from them as you possibly can. Here's what you got to do. Get as close to God as you can. And the Lord, as you believe him and obey him, will guide every step along your journey. You will live in the presence of Almighty God. So what are the principles we take away from the last page of Joseph's life? May I give them to you quickly? I'd like you to write them down. Number one. The first principle comes from the context. See, every, every verse is connected to every other verse. Every text has a context. So before his death, look what happened. If you back up to chapter 50 and verse number 1, Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father, and the physicians embalmed Israel. Here's the first thing that happens in the chapter. It closes with Joseph's death, but it begins with his daddy Jacob's death. And I, I think this is so insightful. I personally believe in many ways Joseph was a more spiritual man than even his father was. I think Joseph lived in God's presence, and I think Jacob struggled with flesh like so many of us do for so much of his life and had the scars to prove it. And yet when he got to the end of the journey, instead of picking his father to pieces and talking about every bad mistake daddy ever made and everything that didn't go his way. Don't miss this. He honored the man that told him about God. Number one, would you write this down? If you're going to trust God for your future, you better begin by honoring those who've come before you. 
I tell you, the very fact you're sitting here tonight is evidence that a whole bunch of people passed through this place before you ever were even born and invested their life here. We are the blessed beneficiaries of those who blazed the trail, the pioneers who, who cleared the way, who followed the Lord and left us some footsteps to follow in. I, I guess I'm in a strange place in life. I'm I'm stuck between generations. To young people, I'm old, and to old people, I'm young. Age is a relative thing, you know. Old is 10 years older than you. That's just the way that it works. At 47 years of age, I'm looking at my dad's generation who pioneered some things and charted the way for us. And then I'm looking at my children's generation coming along behind me, and I feel like a link in this chain. I'm, I'm responsible to both. I'm grateful to these, and I'm investing in this. It's a relay race. You, you receive the baton, and you relay it to those who are coming along behind you. But I'm going to tell you the worst thing that will ever happen to you. If you ever lose the gratitude for those who went before you, you will never be able to effectively influence those who are coming behind you. See, there's a whole generation of people even around God's work today who think the old people are so outdated and so ignorant, you know. They, they knew nothing, and, and we're the enlightened ones. I'm going to tell you, we could use a good dose of what some of those old-timers knew about walking with God every day. We can learn a great deal about our prayer life and the fullness of the Holy Spirit and, and time in the Word from those who have passed this way before us. Don't you get your counsel from people who have no more life experience than you do. If you don't believe me, why don't you ask the young man who split the whole nation of Israel because he listened to the counsel of the young men who grew up with him instead of the counsel of the old men. You, you find you an older man and an older woman who loves God and loves the truth and loves souls and you get close to them and learn everything from them you possibly can. I want to give you something to chew on. Do you realize that everything, every truth, every anchor truth that kept Joseph clean and pure his entire time in Egypt was already in his heart by the time he left home at 17 years of age? For all of Jacob's flaws and faults, it must mean that Jacob, who has now become Israel, prince with God, who's had his own encounter with God, had put enough of God in that young man so when he was thousands of miles away from daddy, when he was far away from the protections of home, he still had some anchors in his soul. Nobody looks over my shoulder every day to check up on me to see if I'm reading my Bible. Nobody makes me get out of bed in the morning now. You're living through a season where you're under some discipline. Don't, don't buck against that. It won't last forever. But I'm going to tell you what you need. You need to thank God for the people who are putting something in you that are going to keep you long after this season of your life is over. Honor those who've instructed you in the way of Almighty God. Don't you forget their investment. Don't waste it. We are stewards of everything God has given us. You don't know my grandpa. I didn't know him. He was an old country preacher in the hills of West Virginia, had a gospel tent. He'd preach six, eight, ten weeks. They'd see a bunch of people saved. They'd start a church out of that. He didn't have much education. He never got to come to a place like this. He died when he was 57. When he died, he left three pennies in his pocket. That was the sum total of his inheritance. Can you imagine? He had no money to speak of. I was preaching in a place 
a while back, and a man came out, and he said, did you know, did you know your grandfather? I said, no, I didn't know him. I said, did you know him? He started weeping. He said, son, I didn't just know him. He led me to Jesus. He said, he baptized me in an old pond out behind the old church. He started laughing. He said, you know those things you preachers say when you put people under the water? I said, yes. He said, he must have been practicing because he held me under a long time that day. You don't know my grandpa's name. He never preached to a crowd like this. But I'm going to tell you, I'm standing here tonight because the lions are falling to me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. And a lot of people you don't know have poured into my life. And I'm grateful to God for every one of them. And I'm not going to spend my life criticizing and tearing down and gossiping and running them in the ground, and I'd recommend you not do that either. The place you came from wasn't perfect, and the place you came to is not perfect. My, my grandpa, that same grandfather, said, if you find a perfect place, don't go there. You'll mess it up. He was exactly right. There are no perfect places. There are good things that you brought with you. There are good things you're going to find here. But you keep a grateful heart for every Jacob that God brings into your life that points you to the Lord and helps you know more about Almighty God. Look, if you're going to trust God for your future, you better not lose touch with your past. If you're going to believe God for the days ahead, it's why I love what you're doing, celebrating these 50 years right now. Don't you ever forget that you're a part of a long line of servants of the Lord. You, you're just one. You're another in a long line, a chain of those who are following Jesus and leading others to Christ. Let's find our place and do our part and trust God for our future. Let me give you a second principle. Look, beginning in verse number 14. Joseph returned in Egypt, he and his brethren, all that went up with him to bear his father, after he had buried his father, and this is amazing to me. Everybody look at verse 15. When Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us. <laughs> Wait a minute. I thought we'd already dealt with that. And will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph saying, thy father did command before he died saying. By the way, he didn't say this. He didn't say this. It's interesting. They're revealing more about themselves than Joseph. Joseph's heart was pure. Their heart still wasn't right. They still didn't get it. Look at verse number 17. So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto the evil, and now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. They're asking him to forgive. He forgave several chapters ago. Look at the end of verse 17. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. You, by the way, you can tell a lot about a man by what makes him glad, sad, and mad. And some, sometimes people have this idea, strong men don't weep. Jesus wept. I'd say you're in pretty good company there. The strongest thing any man in this room has is a heart tender towards God and others. It's the strongest thing you ever develop. And look at the tenderness of Joseph in verse 18. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? In other words, I'm not going to play God with you. Could I recommend you not play God either? Not with your own life and not with somebody else's life. 
Do you know what I keep learning? This is, this is really profound. You're probably going to need to write this down so you remember. You ready? God is God and I am not. That's an amazing truth. But it's liberating. It takes a whole lot of pressure off because I don't have to figure it all out and I don't have to fix it all. God is God. He said, am I in the place of God? I love verse 20. As for you, ye thought evil against me. But God, don't you like it when God butts in? Look at that. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Write this principle down. Number one, honor those who've instructed you and invested in you. And number two, leave all the details of your life in God's hands. Somebody said the devil's in the details. Let me use a good West Virginia theological term for that, hogwash. The devil's not in the details. God's in the details. How many saved people are here tonight? Raise your hand, please. You're a child of God? I'm going to tell you something. God is working in the details of your life. And faith says, I'm going to leave that with God. You leave yourself in God's hands. You leave others in God's hands. You leave the good in God's hands. You leave the bad in God's hands. You leave today in God's hands. You leave tomorrow in God's hands. In other words, every aspect of your life is released into the mighty, all-wise hands of Almighty God. And this tender man, full of faith and full of humility, said, this is the Lord's business to straighten all that out. I, I, I'm leaving you with God, and I'm leaving myself with God. i got to show you something. Hold your place just for a second. Give me, give me a 90-second detour. Hold your place. Turn back a couple pages in your Bible to Genesis 45. You know, we, we skipped over uh, so much, and you should go back. I, I, I'd like to challenge you, you young men and young women in this place for the next few weeks. You ought to live with Joseph a little bit. You ought to put yourself in his sandals and just walk through these passages again. Pray your way through his life. Look at Genesis 45. He'd already said it to them. Look at verse 4. This is the day he revealed himself to them. And Joseph said unto his brethren, come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. You know what forgiveness does? I didn't even plan to say this tonight. But some of you, you need to forgive. You, you need to release. You know what forgiveness does? Forgiveness doesn't say, you're all right, it's all right. Forgiveness releases people to God. That's what it does. It's out of your hands. It's not in your hands anymore. And it's liberating. I have no idea who I'm preaching to you right now. I guarantee you, there are people in this room, horrible things have happened in your life, but you're the one living in the bondage of it. You've got to give that person to God and give yourself to God and give it all to God and let the Lord work out the details. He said, I'm not angry, you don't be angry. And look what he says, the end of verse number five. He said, for God did send me before you to preserve life. Would you mark that? God sent me. Look at verse number seven. And God sent me before you to preserve your posterity in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So now, it was not you that sent me hither, but God. You ought to mark it. In verse five, God sent me. In verse seven, God sent me. In verse eight, God sent me. Oh, I love this. Some of you think, poor old Joseph, he got sold. He didn't get sold, he got sent. Funny thing was, God making even the wrath of men to praise him, and the remainder he restrained. That's exactly what he did. He even used those wicked brothers to accomplish the divine purpose. God knows how to get you from where you are to where you need to be. You need to stop steering. You're not in the driver's seat. You're just along for the ride, and it's the greatest ride of your life. It's the adventure of faith. Trust God and watch what God will do with your life. It's powerful to see what God did with this one man who just gave himself up to Almighty God.
By the way, this is really interesting. Do you understand that it was through everything Joseph endured that an entire nation, really two nations, were saved in the midst of a famine? Did it ever dawn on you that maybe what you're going through right now is not just for you? It may be for somebody you haven't even met yet. Do you understand that your trial could be the table upon which God spreads all that is needed to feed lots of other people? It's what Paul meant when he said that we comfort them who are in any trouble with the same comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. When I was about 20 years of age, 19, 20 years of age, I went through a period of great darkness. I was saved as a boy, surrendered to preach as a teenager, started serving the Lord, went off to college, things were good. And I can't even explain why, but suddenly it was like a, a great fear got a hold of me. Fear is paralyzing, you know. I started doubting my salvation. Funny, everything reproduces after its own kind. Questions beget more questions. So after a while, I wasn't just questioning my salvation. Then I was questioning the Bible. Then I was questioning God. I mean, I questioned everything. And everybody that came through the place and preached, I'd talk to them about it and try to get help because I thought maybe eventually some preacher would say the right thing. I can't tell you how many times I read 1 John. Just trying to sort through it all. Somebody said, well, how did you finally get victory over all that? I, I don't even know that there was an event necessarily. I remember one day an old, old man by the name of Frank Sales, Dr. Frank Sales, was teaching the Bible. I can see him right now. He looks like Harry Ironside, totally bald. He'd rub his head and teach the Bible. And I still remember old Dr. Sales one day. He said, some of you have been living with doubt so long. Don't you think it's time you drive a stake a mile deep in the ground about your soul's salvation? As a college student, I got in my car and drove to an empty parking lot. And I said to God, Lord, it's the strangest thing. I, I know you've called me to preach. I know you want me to serve you, and, and I want to serve you, but I'm struggling so, and I don't know how to get over this. And I'm not trying to be spooky or mystical. I didn't, I didn't see a vision or, or, or hear bells and lights go off. But at that moment, it was like the light broke through the darkness and for the first time I ever remember, I suddenly saw, through eyes of faith, I suddenly saw it. You ready for this? That Jesus is enough. Somebody said, how did you get assurance of your salvation? Finally, one day, I just accepted what the Bible said, that Jesus is enough. And when I figured out Jesus was enough, it was enough. I always wondered why I went through that. One day, I was sitting in my office, and a young preacher came by, to visit, and he came in, he said, I need some help, and sat down, started weeping, and I said, what's wrong with you? And he said, Brother Paul, he said, I'm ashamed to tell you, fine young preacher, he said, I, I know God's called me to preach, and I'm serving the Lord, he said, but I've been having the worst doubts about my salvation, he said, what's wrong with me? I said, nothing's wrong with you. I said, let me tell you what God did in my life. And suddenly, I'll never forget it, sitting in that office that day, it was like the Holy Spirit said, this is why you went through that. My wife and I, we met in college. We were, we were not romantically interested at first. We were just friends. I'd recommend that to you. Friendship's the foundation for every good relationship. 
So some of you think you're going to be married in the next three weeks. Just hold on a little bit, all right? Develop a friendship. It'll come. It'll happen. We weren't even the same. We were in the same circle of friends, but I liked another, another young lady. She liked another guy. I still can't believe she liked another guy, but she did. And one day we spent so much time with each other, talking to each other about the other people. We decided we liked each other better than we liked them. We got rid of them, kept each other. It's been wonderful. And we got married Friday the 13th. That was the luckiest day of my life, let me tell you. 26 years ago. And we found out we were expecting our first child. And we were so excited, and like most young couples, we told everybody immediately. And several weeks into that pregnancy, there were complications, and we lost that little baby. And I remember the grief of that. I was young and dumb. Did you know when you're young, you're dumb? Did you know that? Excuse me. I probably should have been more sensitive to my wife because she was going through more than I was, but I remember that grief, and, and I remember privately saying to the Lord, Why, Lord? All we're trying to do is serve you and want to have a family. Excited about this little baby. Why? We were sitting in a midweek service in our local church, and somebody in that service said, Pray for this young couple, another young couple. They've just been expecting a baby, and they've lost that baby. And I, <laughs> strangest thing. It was like the Lord shot an arrow out of heaven in my heart and said, that's why I let you go through that. I want you to comfort them. It's all part of your education, young people. Everything you're dealing with right now, you're going to have to just accept God's God. You don't have to be. Nobody else is. And leave all the details in his hands. Go back to the last chapter, and we'll, we'll look at the last ones here. Look at them quickly. Verse number 21 I love this. Now, therefore, fear you not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Look at that. Can I give you a third principle? If you're going to trust the Lord for your future, honor those who've come before you. Leave all the details of your life in God's hands. And number three, love and lift up others. Get out of yourself. Stop living in, in the mully grubs and you know, how bad it is and how tough we've had it and, and talking about it all the time. And instead, turn the thing around. Isn't this fascinating that Joseph, who had been a slave, was no longer a slave, but he was still a servant. Here was the prime minister of Egypt. He could have snapped his fingers and they'd all been away with these men. But instead, look carefully what he does. He ministers to them. He comforts them. He speaks kindly to them. Look, if you want to continue to live in God's blessing, then you be a blessing to somebody else. Blessing is not something you're supposed to have. It's something you're supposed to share. Don't you be a Dead Sea Christian. First time I ever went to the Dead Sea, I'll never forget, scooping some of that water up, put it up to my mouth, lowest place on earth, you know, spit it right back out. And the Jordanian pastor just laughed and he said, welcome to the Dead Sea. It wasn't salty, it was bitter. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, living things for, for centuries flowed into the Dead Sea from, from this river, but they, they just all die here. And he said, the reason they die is nothing ever flows out. And then he said something profound. He said, life always becomes death when it is kept to itself. There are people that sit in places like this their, their whole life, or at least for several years, excuse the expression, they get more spiritually bloated and miserable all the time. 
And do you know why? Because they're taking in, taking in, taking in, taking in, and they never give out to anybody else. You ask God this year to make you a blessing. Find you somebody else that needs comfort. We need a revival of kindness, an old-fashioned, heaven-sent revival of kindness. That's what we need. And Joseph understood that. Don't you let a harsh world make you a hard person. Things are tough. But you keep a tender heart towards God and towards other people, and you just trust God for your future. Keep reading. Verse 22, Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die. Well, that's encouraging. May I ask everybody to look at verse 24. Is there a period after die in your Bible, yes or no? I didn't hear you. Is there a period after die, yes or no? No, what's there? Sorry to use a dirty word in church. That's a colon, all right? It means there's more to follow, and what follows is a completion of what proceeds. So look at the and. And God will surely visit you. And bring you out of this land unto the land which is swear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. Would you write down a final principle here? If you're going to trust God for your future, this is so fascinating to me that this is how it ends. Number four, stay in the word of God. Would you like to know why Joseph could speak with such confidence at the end of his life when they're still in Egypt? Because he knew the promise. You should mark in verse 24 these words, God will. And in verse 25, God will. How how do you, you're on your deathbed. You can't see how it's going to turn out. How do you say God will? I'll tell you how. He went all the way back to Genesis 15, and he rehearsed the promise that God had made to his great-great-granddaddy. He knew what God said to Abraham. He knew what God confirmed to Isaac. He knew what God repeated to Jacob. He was living in the word of God. You know how you get faith? You don't get faith by mustering up faith. You don't stand in front of the mirror in the morning and say, all right, we're going to believe God today. No, no. You get in front of this mirror. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. I don't care what kind of student you are or what school in this college you're a student of. Every person in this room must be a student of the word of God. You want to know how to keep your faith strong, keep your faith growing, move forward, trust God for your future, live in the Word of God, and let the Word of God live inside of you. And this is what's so interesting. He not only lived in it, he shared it. We need a generation of people that stop speaking in unbelief and start speaking in faith again. God will. I say to you tonight, the Lord Jesus is coming back. God will keep his promise. We are on the winning side. Speak out of the faith that God is building in your life. And as you trust God for your future, oh, this is beautiful. God will begin to cultivate faith in the lives of other people and others. Lord, give us others. This this is great, but Lord, give us others. Lord, give us others who will trust you. Lord, give us others who will love you. Lord, give us others who will serve you. Where does that start? It starts with a Joseph. 
who just believes God and obeys God and leaves all the details in God's hands and stays in the promise and speaks out of faith and trusts God for his future. You know what I'm praying from these meetings? We've had a great time. But I'm praying these meetings will be like a, like a little Holy Ghost momentum, a, a, a spiritual chain reaction that will carry on through this entire school year and through the rest of your life that you will learn to live consciously every day in the presence of God until the day you step into the presence of God. Adnarm Judson and his wife Ann went to Burma as missionaries, Myanmar. They were not... They were not Baptist missionaries when they went. God uses other people. You do know that, right? But on the boat, they started studying the Bible with a Baptist minister, and they came under the conviction that they needed to be baptized by immersion. So when they got off the boat, they wrote the mission agency they had been sent out of and said, we can't represent you anymore. We became Baptist on the ride over here. True story. They got Baptist, got baptized, became missionaries in Burma. They were serving the Lord, doing great. One day Judson was arrested for preaching the gospel and they tortured him. Hung him by his thumbs in a prison cell. Beat him. It was awful. Young couple, vibrant, going to serve the Lord, win Burma to Christ. Anne came to see him one day. She pulled a piece of paper out of her pocket and through her tears, she said, Adoniram, the, the mission agency has written you a letter saying they haven't gotten a report lately. They need you to write them and tell them how things are progressing here. That kind of fan mail always comes just when you don't need it, doesn't it? And Adoniram Judson was the one who famously said, you write them and tell them that the future here is as bright as the promises of God. I can't see all of you perfectly, but would you look me in the eye just for a minute? If you haven't heard a single thing, would you hear me with your heart for just a second? The future is just as bright as all the promises of God. The future of your life, the Lord's work in this world, just as bright. The Bible says that all the promises of God in Christ are yea and in him. Amen to the glory of God by us. In a world of nays, I like the yeas. Don't you like the yeas? It's a word of affirmation and assurance and acceptance. Yes, Lord, I believe your word is true. Amen to that. I believe the future is as bright as the promises of God. A few years ago, I was speaking in Lower Alabama in a single adult conference. It was at a school setting. The place was packed with college-age young people. I didn't know most of them. And I'm standing on the platform, and there's this group over to the right, and they all had on matching T-shirts, and they were the most energetic people in the room. And I said to the man who was running the conference, I said, tell me about their little group over here. He said, it's interesting. He said, I don't really know them. He said, but they've driven up from a major university in the state of Florida, a secular college campus. And he said, they have a Bible study group, a prayer group that meets on that campus. And they found out about our conference and asked if they could come. And he said, man, they're dialed in. They're just in, in tune with everything. And they were. I mean, I'd preach and, you know, every now and then you get dead heads just looking at you. They weren't dead. Man, they were with it. We'd sing, they sang. I mean, they were, they were plugged in. I walked into the area where we were having our meals one day for lunch, and I was looking for a seat, and they, they had a table, just their group, all of them in their matching T-shirts again. 
one empty seat at the table. And I said, can I sit you? Oh, sure, preacher, come sit with us. And I sat down and we talked. And I love university ministry. We were involved in it in, at the University of Tennessee for years. And I love international ministry. And I'm asking them questions and talking. And, and finally, I just made a conversation. I said, well, tell me, how your, tell me how your group started. He said, well, that's an interesting story. He said, uh, have you ever heard the name Adoniram Judson? And I said, like the missionary to Burma. He said, that's him. He was shocked I knew the name. I said, yeah, I know Adoniram Judson to the Golden Shore. and Oh, that's him. I said, yeah. He said, he really started our Bible study group. I said, now hold on just a second because he's been dead for a long time. So you're going to have to help me understand how this worked. And to my dying day, I'll never forget what he said. He said, well, many years ago, there was a young man from Burma who came to our university and he was so excited to come to Christian America to study. And he just knew when he got to our campus, he's going to find a bunch of Christians and people that loved God and wanted to study the Bible. And he said he got to our university and he said he couldn't find a prayer group. He couldn't find anybody studying the Bible. He could barely find anybody that would even want to go to church. And he said he was so burdened, he started a Bible study group that became the organization we are now part of. And he said the amazing thing about that young man is his great, great, great grandparents were personally led to Jesus and discipled by Adoniram Judson. And immediately, in my mind, I could see Judson hanging by his thumbs in that prison cell saying, the future is just as bright as the promises of God. You think he understood all God was going to do? I am certain he did not. But I'm going to tell you something, young people. If you'll trust God for your future, you'll find out God has more planned for you than you could ever imagine. Let it all be against you. But the Lord was with Joseph. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.